You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Kudlak. Hello and welcome back to season three, episode one of Girls with Graphs. I'm Rachel Kudlek and I'm so excited to be back for another season. And today I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Amber Wilcox. Yes, it's so exciting to have another season in the books. So this is amazing. I'm really excited to still be going three seasons deep. So I know it's crazy. I feel like we just started recording season one episodes like yesterday and here we are. And here we are in season three. And I don't I didn't know if I'd make it to season three with the baby around the corner and we're still here. So (laughs) yes, yes, yeah. So for our listeners who uh, maybe don't follow Amber on social or whatnot, um, she is expecting a little baby boy here very, very soon very soon very pregnant as the days go on so (laughs) I I am happy to still be here and and be able to join for today's show so yes thanks for having me yeah cool well we have a great uh set of of guests coming up but today's is no exception to that we're really really excited um for today's guest so um Rachel do you want to kick us off with our sponsor Yes. Um, so I just want to give a quick shout out to Johnson Controls, our first Phoenix partner shout out this season. Um, Johnson Controls is a dedicated um, partnership to us and to saving lives and protecting people around the world through reimagining the performance of buildings to make them safer and smarter. You can learn more about Johnson Controls, their technology, and everything they're advancing by visiting their website at www.johnsoncontrols.com. So without further ado, um, I'm so excited to have our first guest of the season on with us, Dr. Shira Lehrman. She is a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in rehabilitation psychology. She is an assistant professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the Johnson Hopkins School of Medicine and is the director of burn psychology services at the John Hopkins Adult Burn Center. She has always been interested in the psychological aspects of health and illness and how people can overcome hardships and adversity. She strongly believes that we cannot fully heal the body without also addressing the mind and advocates for the importance of mental health services in medical settings. Dr. Lehrman has been a rehabilitation psychologist for almost 15 years and has worked with individuals with a variety of medical conditions with a special interest in conditions that involve chronic pain. She started her position as a burn psychologist in 2019 and works with burn survivors in the continuum of care from their inpatient admission to the outpatient setting. So thank you so much, Dr. Lehrman, for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be a guest on your podcast. Well, we're so happy to have you. Before we dive into some of you know the, the more in-depth questions, can you tell us a little bit more about your history working in healthcare, but specifically working with burn survivors in healthcare? Sure. Um, So I'm actually from Israel originally, and all of my training I did in Israel. Um, And I started as a rehabilitation psychologist working with um, neurological conditions, especially Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders. Um, And then coming here to the States for a 
uh, fellowship at uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, I started focusing more on uh, research related to pain and sleep, um, and then focusing more on rehabilitation psychology in general, uh, working with people with a variety of medical conditions uh, in their more um, advanced levels of rehab. So usually after the acute hospital, if it was a burn injury or a stroke or a spinal cord injury, um, and then uh, really helping them in that, uh, in, the, in the farther along in their rehabilitation uh, treatment. Um, and then in uh, 2019, a position opened here at the Johns Hopkins Burn Center uh, for a burn psychologist, uh, a position that really combined both uh, clinical work and then research in the field of pain and sleep. So it really embodied everything that I've been doing uh, throughout my career uh, in this one position. So I was so excited to finally um, work with burn survivors when before starting here, I had little experience. Uh, I did have a few burn survivor patients, but again, it was not in their acute stages of their um, recovery. Um, and then, so starting right before COVID, about six, six months before COVID hit, I started um, my position at the burn center, um, working in our uh, both our ICU and our step-down unit. Um, and really helping patients uh, in, in that uh, acute um, stage of their, of their treatment, um, if it's wound care or coping with um, changes to their appearance, anxiety, depression, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, and also I, have, uh, I work with patients in the outpatient setting, so I can very fortunate that I can follow patients after they discharge from our burn center and I can continue working with them uh, if there is a need after they go home. And that's awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. And so I know before we kind of dive into the burn survivor and sleep and your work there, um, I know a lot of the research you've done has been about, you know, the relationship between pain and sleep. So can you just tell us maybe a little bit more about your research focus and maybe some of the findings that you've had? Sure. Um, so there's been, over the last 20 or 30 years, there's been growing interest in the field of sleep in health in general and how it's related to other medical conditions. And we know now that that sleep and pain are very strongly related. And, you know, when you think about uh, how pain impacts sleep, usually say, well, I'm in pain, so that's why I'm not sleeping well. And, and that makes sense. And, and for many people, that is the case, that it makes them uh, wake up more at night and have a hard time falling asleep. But we actually know from research in our lab and in other labs that when you don't sleep well at night, it actually changes the way your body processes pain. And after a night of poor sleep, people feel more pain. They have more reactions to pain and they will actually experience higher levels of pain because they don't sleep well at night. And this is true for burn survivors and it's true for healthy college students that do, um, that come to laboratories and um, and do experimental studies on sleep and pain. Um, so some of the research that we've done, and we, we published a few systematic reviews on sleep and pain, um, both in um, uh, adults and pediatric burn survivors. And we, we saw from, from literature in the last 20 years that there is a high prevalence of sleep disorders in 
burn survivors, but that we don't really know, uh, we don't really have a good characteristic of what kind of sleep disorders they have. Um, due to lack of research that uses um, objective tools to measure sleep. So we still need to learn exactly how burn injuries affect patient sleep and how their sleep impacts their recovery. Yeah, and I love this topic too, just because, you know, even if you're not a burn survivor and you're just listening into this podcast, it's can relate to all of us. You know, we all need sleep and I'm a big proponent of going to bed early and getting my my solid sleep in because I, I love it. <laughs> Same. And especially being pregnant, I feel like it's so hard for me to get like good quality sleep these days. And I do 100% see like if I don't get a good sleep and I don't even get in like an afternoon nap, then forget it. Like in the evening, I'm just a mess. So um, in your opinion, like what do you define as good quality sleep? Like is there a time frame? Like what um, or maybe not in your opinion, but from your studies, like right? What has it shown that good quality sleep is? Yeah, that's a great question. So um we can look at sleep in different from different um, perspectives, right? So we can look at the quantity of sleep, right? So how many hours people should sleep. Um, and in general, um, most adults should be sleeping between seven to eight hours. Um, however, everyone has their own individual sleep number, right? So some people are shorter sleepers, some people just naturally need less sleep, and some people are long sleepers and they naturally need more sleep. They'll need more like nine hours um, and not seven or eight. But on average, um, sleeping around between seven and eight hours is what adults need. Um, but another component of quality sleep is sleep that's consolidated, meaning that you sleep without the sleep being interrupted. And actually when people um, wake up a lot during the night, that's worse than having shorter sleep in one chunk, right? So we need that sleep to be uninterrupted. So that's another component of sleep. Um, and then the quality or how you feel when you wake up in the morning is also very important because sometimes people can have six or seven or eight hours of sleep, but the quality of their sleep or the depth of their sleep is not sufficient. And we see that a lot with people who have sleep disorders like sleep apnea, where they're where they um, they stop breathing during sleep, and then even though they might have slept for seven hours, they keep on waking up without knowing. So they they're very tired in the morning. So um, so when we assess sleep disorders, and how do you know? I mean, maybe you're asking, is how do I know if I need to go to a to a sleep specialist? What are the reasons I would go to see a sleep specialist? So um, when if you see that um, for the, it's taking you a long time to fall asleep at night, so more than 30 minutes every night to fall asleep. If you see that you're waking up repeatedly during the night and having a hard time falling back asleep. If you wake up earlier than you want to in the morning, right? If you wake up at four in the morning and you can't get back to sleep, right? Um, or if you wake up in the morning, even though you got sleep, but you still feel really tired. And this happens for more than three nights a week for more than a month or two, then that kind of is a sign that this might be something that you want to get checked. So going either to your primary care or uh, talking to a behavioral, to a sleep medicine clinic. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the, you know, long-term or even short-term effects of not getting quality sleep? So Aside um, from being tired, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so we all know how we feel when we don't sleep well, right? You know, and, and being tired, obviously, is one of the, the, big, the big symptoms. But it can also affect our thinking, 
right? It can affect our ability to concentrate, to remember things, to make good decisions. Um, it can make us sleepy. So there's a difference between being tired and being sleepy. So sleepy means that you can fall asleep in any given situation. And um, millions of people every year actually fall asleep while driving uh, because of sleep disorders, because they either have sleep apnea or they have insomnia or didn't get enough sleep at night. So mm-hmm. having quality sleep is actually a, a big safety concern. Um, and you can get in trouble for that, correct? Like, I think it's illegal right to be like or or not illegal but like you can like almost like a dui right like you can i believe it's something you can get in trouble for as well correct um that's a uh, that's a good point i don't i'm not sure that that's a general maybe it might be state dependent i'm not i don't know i don't have the information actually but um when you but having sleep apnea for example there might be i believe and i might be mistaken that um for some uh jobs like being a truck driver or things like that you do need to have that assessed uh, and then right. uh, because it is a big safety concern uh, yeah i knew someone who had that happen i mean like mainly because they didn't sleep enough right and i don't mm-hmm. know if it was necessarily a disorder but had had worked long hours and then you talk about like these nurses and doctors that have like long shifts and things like that mm-hmm. it can get really dangerous Right. And then driving home from a sh- from a night shift or you know, just being really tired um, and and also working in position in jobs that can be dangerous if you're not paying attention and you're falling asleep. So there's yeah. all concerns. Um, so yeah. sleep is a big sleep is a big deal. I mean, it, it can um, sleep deprivation can cause the same level of impairment as alcohol in certain right. situations. So. Um, it's it, it really is something that we need to pay attention to and to be uh, responsible when we get on the wheel or we do we get behind the wheel or we do things when we know that we didn't get enough sleep mm-hmm. um, and having some safety um, safety things in check you know like if it's if it's pulling over and taking a nap or if it's um, talking to a friend on the phone or taking an uber if you just feel like you can't drive I love that. Um, so we talk about, you know, bad sleep, but um, if I'm not at a place where maybe I need to see a sleep medicine specialist, but perhaps I am getting bad sleep here and there, do you have recommendations of how, like, what can I do or what is what is happening in my body that needs I need to wind down or things like that? Do you have any tips or suggestions? Yeah, so first of all, we all, even the best sleeper, will have times in their life where they don't sleep well. That's that's natural. And we don't need to um, we don't need to worry too much if we have a few nights of bad sleep. That's not gonna cause these long-term effects. And you asked me about the short and long-term effects of sleep, uh, of sleep, uh, of kind of poor sleep. So some of the longer term uh, consequences of getting poor sleep or having a short sleep duration, they really can impact your cardiovascular system and uh, your immune system. So there can be longer, uh, and there's increased mortality for people who have sleep of less than six hours a night. Uh, so there are long-term uh, impacts of having uh, poor sleep or short sleep duration. Um, but for most of us, we will have during different times of our lives, even if it's because of a stressful time in our life, pregnancy, um, you know, being sick. I know that all too well right now. <laughs> just getting you ready for not sleeping once the baby's born. So it's just preparing you. 
Um, yeah, and- I'm in my stage of no sleep and I've just had to accept it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, so and, and not catastrophizing about it is going to help um, not increasing the anxiety about sleep because we know right. that anxiety is something that makes it harder to fall asleep. And mm-hmm. most people will tell you when I'm anxious, when I'm really stressed, that's the time that I can't fall asleep at night because mm-hmm. I, my mind is racing. I keep worrying when I turn the lights off and everything else, all the other distractions go away. That's when my mind wakes up. That's when my mind is really busy and I just can't turn it off and I can't fall asleep. And that happens to a very high percentage of people at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. And usually when that stressor or when that difficult uh, time in their lives uh, resolves, for most people, um, they will go back to sleeping well. Uh, what happens for some people is that they start developing behaviors that actually make the insomnia worse. So they start trying to compensate for that poor sleep by other behaviors that initially in the short term are helpful, but in the long term, they make the insomnia worse. So for example, taking long naps during the day, right? That's something that we tend to do because we didn't sleep well at night. So we'll just sleep a little bit during the day, right? Or we'll sleep in the evening because that's when we get really, really tired. We just can't make it to our bedtime. And that'll make it again, harder to fall asleep that night because our body can only sleep a certain amount of hours. And if you sleep during the day, you're most likely not gonna sleep at night. So napping during the day, um, spending a long time in bed. So going to bed even earlier than what you thought you need to because you wanna just catch that sleep at night. Um, that also increases the time in bed, uh, increases the time that you're in bed and not sleeping and it makes it harder to fall asleep later on. So a lot of these behaviors that we're doing actually that we think are helping us are actually making the insomnia worse and perpetuating that sleep disorder. How long is a long nap in your opinion? Like what, what is a recommend, right? If I want to nap during the day, what do you recommend like for a, taking a quick nap or whatnot? So no more than 30 minutes is, is what we recommend uh, because we don't want you to have that full sleep cycle. Uh, and that, so that would, that would, if you, if you have only 30 minutes of a nap and having it as early in the day as possible, right? So the later in the day you have your nap, the harder it is going to be for you to fall asleep in a, at a reasonable hour. And think of naps as a snack, right? Like it's like having a, a big snack before dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a nap big, snack. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. A nap snack. The <laughs> the nap snack, the, the harder it's going to be for you to fall asleep at night. And the closer your snack is to dinner, the less uh, appetite or less sleep drive you're going to have. And it's going to be harder to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So first of all, cutting back on those naps is going to be helpful. Now, that's actually easier said than done, right? Because when you're really, really tired, it's so hard not to just go look, you know, your your bed or your couch is just calling to you to fall asleep. Um, and it's, and, and when, when I work with patients who have insomnia and napping is one of the things that they do, then we come up with many strategies to help them stay awake and get over that hump that usually happens around three or 4 PM. We all have that dip in our energy level. Uh, just naturally we have that dip. Um, and there are different strategies that we can use to help get through that so that we're pushing through to a later time. Yeah. And, and you brought up insomnia and I, that's at least in my mind, like the most common, and maybe it's not statistically, but the most common 
uh, sleep, you know, problem or disorder that we hear about. So I kind of want to talk about that a little bit and especially how it relates to burn survivors. And is that a very common thing you, you see with burn survivors is insomnia? Yeah. So insomnia is definitely the most common sleep disorder. Uh, so you're right. <laughs> and, um, and, and maybe we'll talk about like, what, what is insomnia, right? What, what is the definition of insomnia? So um, insomnia, there can be different kinds of insomnia. So there can be insomnia that's related to sleep onset. So the difficulty falling asleep, right? And that would be mm -hmm. more than 30 minutes to fall asleep at least three nights a week. Okay. And then there's uh, what we call sleep maintenance insomnia, meaning insomnia that is, you might be falling asleep fine initially, but once you fall asleep, you're waking up repeatedly throughout the night and you're staying awake for long periods of time in the middle of the night. Okay. Um, and then we also have early morning awakenings. So insomnia that you fall asleep okay, you can sleep through the night, but then you wake up really early, much earlier than you want to, and you're not able to fall back asleep. Um, and then also for, for the diagnosis of insomnia, you have to have some type of uh, daytime impairment, right? So to be diagnosed with a disorder, you have to have either one of these symptoms, but also daytime impairment that's associated with, these, with this lack of sleep. So it can be difficulty with concentration, motivation, mood, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it is very common. Um, and... The good news about insomnia is that it's actually uh, a pretty treatable condition uh, using uh, not necessarily medication, but using uh, cognitive behavioral therapy strategies. And, there, and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, or CBTI, um, is the, the first, considered the first line of treatment for insomnia, and it's recommended actually by the American College of Physicians as the first line of treatment before sleep medication. Um, and when we, and in a clinical trial comparing CBTI to, uh, to sleep medication, we saw that CBTI is as effective and it has better long-term benefits than uh, sleep medication. So um, in CBTI, can you explain a little bit about, is that like a session where I sit down with a clinical psychologist and talk through like why that's bothering me or is it more of like a different type of therapy? What does that look like? So, um, so CBTI and or CBT in general is, um, is a form of treatment that really focuses on thoughts and behaviors in order to change certain symptoms. So it can be uh, depression, it can be uh, pain, it can be anxiety. And um, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia fo really focuses on the behaviors that we do that perpetuate insomnia. So we, um, it's, you work very closely with, um, with a, a psychologist who specializes in behavioral sleep medicine. And there are many behavioral sleep medicine clinics all over the country that have psychologists that were trained in CBTI. Um, so we, we use sleep diaries. We have patients document their sleep every day. And then by using that sleep diary, we come up with a new sleep schedule that better fits their, um, that, that will help with the type of insomnia that they have, right? So it'll help them go to sleep at a more appropriate time. So that's a big part of it. So when do you go to sleep? When do you wake up? Um, and really restricting the amount of time that you're in bed so that it fits the amount of time that you're sleeping. 
Um, and another important component of it is sleep hygiene, which probably a lot of people hear that term, right? Sleep hygiene or how, how hygienic your sleep patterns are. Um, so a component of that, of, of CBTI, is really changing your sleep environment and the things that you do uh, around bedtime. So in during sleep or kind of during bedtime, but also before and after your bedtime. Um, so it, it also talks a little bit about, during, during CBTI, we also talk about the thoughts and beliefs people have about sleep um, and, and, and trying to understand uh, what are the things that are making them more anxious or what are the things that, making, that is making it hard for them to fall asleep. But the majority of the work is really working on the sleep, um, the sleep schedule, the sleep uh, habits that people have. So we're breaking these negative cycles that people have created while they their sleep. Yeah. And you just started talking a little bit about like those fears and anxieties that folks may have. So is that some of like, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the mindfulness based strategies when it comes to assisting with sleep and pain. Is mm -hmm. that kind of what, is that what you're talking about there? So that is definitely part of it. Um, so when, when people have a hard time sleeping, uh, many times they develop this fear of going to sleep at night, right? Because being lying in bed and not being able to sleep when you're so tired is a very unpleasant um, experience. And people sometimes say that it just feels like torture, right? Like they, they start dreading getting in bed and going to sleep because they know it's going to be another night that they're just lying there in bed staring at the ceiling and, and knowing that they have to sleep but that they can't so developing that uh, pre-sleep anxiety is something that's very common and like we said before when we're anxious uh, being anxious is incompatible with sleep because when we're stressed, we're not supposed to sleep because the, the stress response is was developed so that we can run away from a lion if we need to, right? And if you're stressed and you, and you fall asleep, then the lion is going to eat you. So your body, when you're worried, your body... It's a, <laughs> <laughs> a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what stress is. You know, when we're stressed, even if it's about work, if it's about relationship, if it's about our pain our body reacts in the same way as if a lion is coming to eat us. We have increased heart rate, we have increased blood pressure, our muscle tension goes up. And, and when we're in that state of arousal or stress, we can't go to sleep. So one of the first things that we do and we teach patients is strategies to relax their mind and relax their body and allow that natural process of sleep to happen. And there are many ways that we can help uh, patients or people in general um, relax their mind and relax their body. So mindfulness-based strategies are one of the many types of strategies that we can use that help focus on breathing, relaxing your body, focusing on the present moment versus worrying about the future, or ruminating and regretting the past. Many times we live either in our past or in our future and we forget to focus on, on right now. Mm. Um, yeah. No, I, it's funny, you know, listening you say that because um, my husband and I have like opposite sleep 
uh, schedules. And I mean, same time, we both go to bed at a normal time. Well, I go to bed much earlier than he does. But it's funny listening you kind of talk about that, like anxiety, because even like last night, I said to him, like, why don't you just put your phone down and try and go to sleep? He's like, but I feel like I have to I sh I'm wasting time by just like laying there. So I, I don't have that problem, but I'm sure a lot of people do. The moment my I don't have that problem, pillow, either. I am, I'm, I'm out. out. <laughs> my husband's the same way. He has a hard time falling asleep, I think, sometimes. Yeah. And then, but I do think some of it, Rachel, is yeah, like their minds are just going, right? And you need to slow yeah. your mind down. But I do have that then in the morning if I wake up, especially on the weekends, like I don't have an alarm set all the time. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, but I get to sleep in It's Saturday morning. But then I'm like, wait, I just start thinking about my to do list. And I'm like, ah, well, I'm up. I'm not going to fall back asleep. So I might as well go start getting yeah. things done. <laughs> and that's a great strategy uh, to, you know, if you're already awake, then not spending your time in bed and getting out mm. of bed and starting your day is better than lying in bed and trying to fall back asleep. Mm -hmm. um, and the more time, the more time we spend in bed, not sleeping is, mm. is telling your body that the bed is not supposed to be used. Mm -hmm. for sleep. Mm. And that's fascinating. Yeah. And, and we, we condition ourselves that our bed is, is kind of this time where we can do lots of stuff, right? We can watch TV, we can play on our phone, we can you know, mm -hmm. go on social media, we can worry. Uh, right. in bed. Like there are lots of things that people do in bed that are not sleeping. Mm -hmm. And then usually the more things you do in bed that are not sleeping, the harder the it's it is for you to fall asleep. That makes I so much sense. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I never thought about that. But then you're saying that I'm like, well, yeah, it's like the same thing. Like my office, I go to my desk to work and like, I don't necessarily, like, I know when I'm sitting here, I should be like, I'm getting work done. Oh, it's like yeah. the same. Yeah. Like with the bed, like if I'm just laying in bed all day, then my body's going to start associating, Oh, this is just a comfortable place to lay down and do other things. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So bed should be used. So if you, you know, there are a few golden rules of sleep. Um, so the bed should be used only for sleep and sex. Those are the only two things you should be doing in bed. Um, everything else should be done outside of the bed, preferably outside of the bedroom, um, so that your your bedroom is really this kind of sanctuary for sleep. So once you walk into your bedroom, you know that this is a time to relax. This is a time to just fall asleep quickly. So talking about aspects of sleep, um, I know like some people take melatonin. Um, that's a, one of them. I know for me, I have to have it like really cold in my bedroom. And so we recently like even just put an extra AC in there to make sure that it's like cold. Is there recommendations or, or like environmental things that you can do to help with like, so whether it's taking melatonin or, you know, maybe changing your sheets or things like that, is there something um, that makes like, a good sleep environment? Yeah, so um, so definitely having a cooler environment versus a hotter environment. So you want you want your environment to be relatively cool, uh, dark, and quiet, right? So those are kind of the things that, in order to promote better sleep, those are the things you want to be thinking about. Um, of course, having a comfortable mattress, um, the right type of sheets that you like. Uh, if you like a blanket, some people like weighted blankets, some people don't like blankets, right? It really is a, is a personal preference. Um, but you do but we, you do want it to be quiet, dark, and cool. 
um, as, as kind of the environmental things that we're looking for. And what about melatonin or, or any like, like natural sleep aids? Do you believe in those? You think those are no, what are you, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So, um, so there is, uh, so melatonin is a supplement, um, that, um, because it's a supplement, it's not well-regulated like medication is. So when people buy melatonin, they're not always getting the same thing, right? Different companies make it different ways. Um, so, so it's kind of difficult to know, um, what people are getting and what they're taking. Um, there is evidence that melatonin is very helpful for certain sleep disorders, um, such as um, uh, circadian rhythm disorders, which these are disorders that our internal clock or our sleep rhythm is, is a, is not, um, doesn't occur during the times that we want to sleep. Um, so for those types of disorders, melatonin is very effective and there's good evidence for that. Um, there's conflicting evidence about how uh, effective melatonin is for insomnia. And, um, and even though it is a supplement, it isn't, people need to be aware that there can be side effects and there can be, um, uh, there's some conditions that you want to be cautious about taking melatonin. Um, because it can interfere with different types of medications as well that you're taking. So even though it's a supplement, it's not uh, it's not necessarily harmless or has no side effects. Mm -hmm. uh, keeping that in mind, um, and also most people take melatonin at the wrong time. So mm -hmm. um, what the the cor the correct time to take melatonin is not right before bed, like you would take mm -hmm. a different sleep medication. It's actually two to three hours before your desired bedtime. Oh. Because melatonin, it mimics your own uh, your own body's secretion of melatonin because we have melatonin in our body and it's natural. Right. Um, so taking melatonin is supposed to just kind of boost what we have. And we have that spike in melatonin about two to three hours before bedtime. So that's the time that if you want to go to sleep, let's say at 10 o'clock, then you would want to take melatonin around 730, right? Mm. Uh, right before bedtime, like you would have yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I do actually want to like shift gears a little bit here. Because um, part of the reason why we had you on the podcast today, Dr. Lerman, is because you will be at Phoenix World Burn Congress this fall as part of our wellness center. We're so excited to have you there. Um, so for those listening, Phoenix World Burn Congress will take place um, from October 4th through the 7th in National Harbor, Maryland. And registration is now open. Um, so we'll have all the links in our show's description. Um, but, you know, if you are interested in learning more about sleep or sleep tricks, Dr. Lehrman promised me she wasn't going to give away all of her best tips today um, because you you got to come to World Burn Congress um, to get those. So but I, I do want to talk about, you know, maybe what are some of the common issues with sleep that you see with burn survivors or, um, and is this something I'm interested in learning more about? It's like, is it just with the newly injured burn survivors or is this, you know, a chronic condition that, you know, survivors years and years and years out from their injury still face? Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a, that's a great question because we, we know, and I'm sure anyone who's been in the hospital knows that the hospital is the worst place to get a good night's sleep, <laughs> especially um, a burn <laughs> you or any ICU. So true. I feel like you can <laughs> never get sleep in the hospital. <laughs> yes. And, and hospitals and, and unit, units, we're all working towards improving that and, and trying to create a better sleep environment. But just um, sleep 
problems or difficulties with sleep start very early on um, with burn survivors, and they're related to many different things. Um, so, you know, being in a hospital environment, having the lighting and the, the noises and the constant uh, procedures or, you know, vitals or blood work, all these things that happen at night. Sometimes wound care happens at night if it's twice a day. You know, a lot of things happen after we have a burn injury that happens. On top of the anxiety. <laughs> on top of the anxiety, right? Being in a yeah. very stressful environment that's not your own home, it's not your own bed, you're alone. You know, it, it can be very stressful. And like we said before, stress is not good for sleep. So in the early stages, in the acute stages of uh, burn recovery, when people are still in the hospital, there are very high, there's a very high prevalence of difficulty with sleep. Um, and it's also related to pain, right? Pain, <clears throat> excuse me, pain and sleep. Um, when patients are in a lot of pain, they'll have a hard time sleeping. And, um, and when, um, we have to give pain medications at night. Uh, all these things are, are going to impact sleep. Another thing that's related to specifically the burns is itch, right? After after our after the um, burn wounds heal, they don't might not hurt as much, but then they'll itch a lot more. And right. itch can be as distressing as pain sometimes, uh, and making it harder to fall asleep. Mm. So in the inpatient setting, we really work, we try to work more with patients to improve their sleep, um, to get, um, to consolidate care so that we at least give patients, you know, six hours, seven hours of uninterrupted sleep if possible, uh, making it uh, not as uh, turning off lights. Uh, but also something that's really important is that in the hospital, you don't get natural light exposure, mm -hmm. and, which also impacts. Uh, your circadian rhythm, right? So having, uh, especially when patients are feeling more down and, and they don't really want to interact and they don't want their blinds open sometimes and they want to just lay there in the dark. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm sometimes the, you know, the window police. So I'm always coming into a patient's room, <laughs> opening the blinds um, <clears throat> because we know that it, it is really important to get that light exposure. Also to prevent delirium, which is another uh, issue that can happen pretty frequently uh, after a large burn injury or, or burn injuries in general in the ICU. So it is a big problem in the inpatient setting. And then we also know from research that there's a, a good percentage of burn survivors that report sleep difficulties even years after, mm. uh, even years after their, their burn injury. And so what are some of the ways you work with people after, like, do, do you also work with burn survivors years out that are having sleep problems as well? Yes, um, uh, definitely. So in my outpatient clinic, I see, uh, you know, burn survivors that can be months after their burn injury and it's some, some of them are 10, 20 years after their burn injury. Um, so using uh, CBTI is one of the main tools I use if it is insomnia. Um, another uh, aspect of uh, that impacts sleep uh, in the context of burns is uh, nightmares and PTSD. Mm -hmm. So that's another. So nightmare disorder is definitely something that uh, many burn survivors experience. Um, more so initially, right? It's a natural response to stress, having some of those nightmares or intrusive system, uh, uh, symptoms. Uh, mm -hmm. For most patients, they do. Um, 
they do stop. Those, those symptoms do resolve on their own. But if they continue to, to have nightmare disorders, uh, that can definitely impact their quality of sleep. And there are specific treatments that can help both medication and um, uh, and uh, specific interventions that can help with nightmares as well. That's fascinating. And so just to be clear, you also talked a little bit and earlier in the podcast of like pain and sleep, right? So the studies you've done, if the burn survivor gets more sleep, you've seen pain, pain management be more, you know, available to them, like, or, or less of a problem. Yeah. So, so in, uh, there actually haven't been specific studies that have shown that in burn survivors, when you treat insomnia or sleep disorders, their pain improves, but we have, and that is a study that we're hoping to do. Um, but in, in different um, chronic medical conditions that have chronic pain, um, uh, conditions like fibromyalgia, like um, other uh, chronic pain uh, disorders, low back pain, when you treat insom when you treat the insomnia and don't even touch their sleep, don't do anything, don't change their medication, don't don't touch their sleep, their their um, their pain, don't touch their pain, their pain will improve. And that's why treating pain, uh, I'm sorry, that's why treating sleep is such an exciting um, tool because, um, because we know that when people, um, when people sleep improves, their pain improves, their depression can improve, their anxiety can improve. So it really is this gateway treatment uh, that allows people to improve many other symptoms just by improving their sleep. I know it, it makes sense because when I feel better and more rested, mm -hmm. I'm more able to handle myself and the rest of the world, right? So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, also, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, I'm thinking back to, like, I remember, so when I was getting surgeries when I was younger, I would, I remember like, train myself to sleep on my back because I'm a side sleeper. And so when I would get surgeries on my arms, I would have my IV in one arm and my other arm had the skin graft healing. So I had to sleep on my back. And I always remember like once I got to get home, my own bed, no IV in my arm, I could like put a pillow somewhere so I could like lay more comfortably on my side. And I instantly felt better just being in my own bed for one, um, but to just getting that like quality sleep at home or in a more comfortable position for me. Yeah, and it, and it makes such a difference to be able to, to sleep also for wound healing. We know that mm -hmm. many important uh, immune functions happen when we're sleeping mm -hmm. that contribute to wound healing. So mm -hmm. when we're improving sleep, we're also improving immune function, our wound healing and better outcomes. Mm -hmm. so, so those are also things that, you know, it's important to treat your sleep. If you have, you don't have to continue suffering and tough it out. Right. right. Is, is, um, is not as good as you want it to be. And, and with, and I think that many people, um, you know, even though the stigma related to mental health is, is decreasing, but still many people feel uncomfortable coming to a psychologist to work on depression or anxiety or, you know, just general things that are related to mental health, but more people will feel comfortable saying, oh, I go to a psychologist for my sleep. Hmm. And it's something that, you know, oh yeah, everyone has trouble with sleep. I'll go to a psychologist, I'll improve my sleep. And they'll talk about it and they'll tell their friends that they, you know, they went to someone and their sleep is better. And, and a side effect of that is that their mood is better and their pain is better. And so other things are improving. So 
um, I really see this as a tool to be able to help people in different domains through starting with something that's not as stigmatized as mental health. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that's like, that's such a great point. Well, you know, I'm really excited to have you at Phoenix World Burn Congress. You know, I, as someone who I think I have a pretty good sleep schedule. I'm a big advocate for folks to learn more about sleep and to get better sleep. Um, so as I mentioned, Dr. Lerman will be at our wellness center at Phoenix Roeburn Congress. Um, we're still finalizing all the details of the wellness center, but you know, it offers tools, resources, restoration, inspiration, um, you know, on all the aspects of, you know, the healing journey. And um, I kind of feel like maybe sleep falls into, you know, almost like the physical and mental healing. It's a great overlap of both of them, like you just mentioned. So um, I just encourage everyone to come see you at the conference. Um, time is running out to register. So if you haven't registered already, please do so. Um, it's in Dr. Lerman's like backyard. It's right outside of DC near John Hopkins. So um, we're so excited to, to have you there. Thank you. I'm really excited to go to my first world burn. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited to. I was going to say, what are you most looking forward to at, at world burn? Um, well, I think just um, just from hearing uh, the experience that burn survivors have had, you know, being in that environment, meeting meeting people that, you know, maybe you've only seen online or um, seen in other places and having that experience of seeing how other people cope with similar injuries. Um, so I'm excited to, to see that with, you know, some of my patients that are there. Um, and just learning more about what my patients uh, experience on a day-to-day -day level and going to the different um, different talks and seminars that are geared towards patients and not, you know, necessarily towards professionals. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, I know we're, we're running up on time here. Um, so, you know, it's the start of season three. So we, at what we've done in the past is we've always asked our guests two final questions, but we're, we mixed them up for season three. So you'll be the first to experience um, our new questions. So Amber, oh, but I've practiced the old ones. <laughs> yes, we're, we're changing it up on everyone. Watch out. So, um, uh, and this season, just to kind of give everyone a sneak peek, we have a lot of, um, a lot of clinical folks that are going to be joining us. Mm -hmm. So um, we're really excited to kind of get some more data and research and information. So we wanted to um, ask for advice in terms of, you know, um, and from the survivor aspect of, um, you know, if I were, you know, if I, I am a survivor, but as a survivor listening to this podcast, what advice you'd give them? And I think my biggest question, so that's our kind of like blanket statement, but for, for you specifically, what advice would you give a survivor like in terms of looking for someone to help with this sleep management specifically? Um, yeah, so I think that um, if you do feel like your sleep is not you know, what, what you're hoping for, you're, you're noticing that it's hard for you to fall asleep, stay asleep, or feel unrefreshed in the morning, and this is a repeated problem that you experience, then there are behavioral sleep medicine clinics uh, all over the country that can help with that. Uh, many burn psychologists also have training in uh, sleep and in CBTI uh, treatment. So uh, I think the first stop would be uh, a burn psychologist if your center has one or if there's one in your um, in work in your environment. Uh, and if not, then a behavioral sleep medicine clinic. Uh, where you can just Google it and there and you can find lists of behavioral sleep medicine clinics. 
Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely reach out and reach out to Phoenix Society too. If you need help finding someone, we're, we're happy to get you connected um, to a sleep expert. Um, and so our final question, it's our Phoenix partner questions sponsored by Johnson Controls, a global leader in fire safety and suppression technology. So final question is, what's something you're grateful for today? It doesn't have to be burn, sleep, anything related, but what's something you're grateful for? Um, so today, um, let's see. Well, I'm, I'm really grateful to be on this podcast because I was very excited <laughs> to be a guest uh, on this podcast. But I was also very grateful that my husband and kids allowed me time to get ready this morning <laughs> uh, before work. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and Amber, you'll, you'll learn about <laughs> that. <laughs> okay, so. so I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> Just for a few moments of, of just being able to focus on on yourself and yeah. uh, I was very grateful for that. That's awesome. awesome. Well, Rachel, do you want to share one more time a little bit about World Burn Congress before we, we close out our, our podcast today? Yes. Yeah. So Phoenix World Burn Congress, like I mentioned, happening this fall, October 4th through the 7th in National Harbor, Maryland, which is like 15, 20 ish minutes from D.C. So it's very close, um, whether, you know, you're from the Northeast and can get there by train or bus or whatnot, or you're from California and need to fly in, you know, we want to have you there. Um, we'll have, we have like 30 plus great sessions. You know, we have Aaron Volpatti, who is a previous Girls With uh, Graphs guest. He's our keynote this year. Um, and then we have the Wellness Center, Center, like I mentioned with Dr. Lerman and, you know, other, you know, health care and mental health and survivor experts who are just really there to help you along your healing journey. So, you know, I always like to say like, whether you're five months out from your injury, you're 50 years out from your injury, you're you know, a burn care nurse or healthcare professional or fire service, whoever you are, you know, there's events and people there for you. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I can't believe it's almost here. Um, this is the first time we'll be back in person since 2019. So it's a and long I'm overdue. I'm going to miss it, but uh, it'll, it sounds like it'll be a blast. So uh, Dr. Lerman, we want to thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. We are very appreciative of your time. And I feel like I've learned so much. They say you learn mm -hmm. something new every day, but I definitely yeah. learned so much from you. And now I'm going to go back and tell my husband all the, the, sleep, the sleep things that I learned today <laughs> on this podcast. So I'm very, very excited uh, for our listeners to, to hear this because this has been super helpful. We really, really appreciate it. Yes. Well, thank you for this opportunity. It was so nice to meet you all. Yes, it was a thank pleasure. you so much. Can't wait to see you in person soon. in October. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Grafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.